Welcome to the Winning Edge Investments Podcast. Winning Edge Investments provides industry-leading horse racing and sports betting tips, ratings and education, enabling you to invest intelligently and treat your betting like a business. Go to www.winningedgeinvestments.com to learn more about how you can start to supercharge your betting bank immediately. Treat your betting like a business and invest intelligently with Winning Edge Investments. Today on the Winning Edge podcast, we're joined by Albury trainer Mitchell Beer. G'day, Mitch. How are you? Good, mate. Yourself? Well, thanks, mate. I thought we'd get you on the show for a bit of a light-hearted chat as we head into Christmas. So um, just before we get into it, tell the listeners out there about your background. Uh, I didn't have much choice when it came to racing. Um, Dad uh, trained and, and was predominantly a jockey throughout his career. Um, but uh, when I uh, stepped into things, he was riding for a bit. And then uh, he was uh, training down uh, in Geelong, um, just outside of Melbourne. And um, didn't really have much choice. The days away from school were either in the stables or, or going off to the races. So fortunately enough, uh, I loved it and um, and have, have been in it ever since. So where'd you start? Did you start mucking out boxes and just helping your dad around the around the yards, or? Um, no, I had a pretty I had a pretty you know, weird start to it all. I, I I loved racing and I could you know reel off winners and 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 pedigrees and things like that. But I, I guess I didn't really have that love for the horse. I, I, I've never really ridden and uh, I didn't really have that connection with the actual horse and working with them until later in life i actually left high school um not that i was there much anyway but uh, i left high school to start a golf apprenticeship um i thought uh, i was going pretty good at the time and um i was you know hadn't had only been playing golf 18 months and i was playing off single figures and everything looked uh pretty rosy uh and then uh yeah got a job in the pro shop started my apprenticeship and um the old golf pro there was a bit of a punter and um spent more time doing the form and taking quaddies uh than uh <laughs> learning about golf and uh, i soon realized where my um yeah where my heart sort of lied and um i didn't even i wasn't even driving at the time i remember dad picked me up one afternoon um i shut up the pro shop and got in the car and i said oh i'm gonna quit oh, can you get me a job at the stables and i think it was like that episode of the simpsons where you see ralph wiggum's heart just <laughs> breaking in one um, and uh, he just shook his head. I don't think he spoke. He just drove home without saying a word and um, he said, you're going to do this, aren't you? And I said, yeah, yeah, I, I want to work with the horses. And um, fortunately enough, um, he was uh, had good connections with Lloyd Williams and um, he uh, got me a job there and a you know, fortnight later there I was and everyone sort of just expected me to, you know, know what I was doing and I actually had no idea I, I could barely put a head collar on and lead one around you know I was very average when it came to working with the horses um and fortunately enough I had a, I had a great start there and um away I went do you ever rue not following that golf path it's amazing how bad you can get at something when you step away from it um well, I actually didn't play golf ages so I used to get really frustrated because I you know used to go okay and then I'd go out there and, and, and was terrible and uh, I'm still terrible now, but at least it's good just to get away from work and you don't really care how you play. But I think, um, you know, when you're young, you you know, you envision that you're, you're going to play on the US tour and you're going to do this and that. But 
you know, golf along with, you know, a lot of those sports, unless you're in that top 5%, you know, you, you play with a lot of guys that are off scratch and plus one and, you know, they're a plumber during the week and, and it's just a hobby to them. They're just very good at it. So probably not, you know, I don't think I would have been certainly in that elite thing, elite bunch, but um, it was a great, great time, you know, young playing golf and, uh, and, and got, sort of played all around Australia when I was sort of, 16 um it was terrific so um it was a great experience and um you know uh, at least i got to single figure figures in, in some stage of my life it's i doubt it's going to happen again <laughs> so with your dad being a jockey did he instill any values in you about racing or give you much advice about it i think as i've got older i've probably realized how much i learned from dad and, and being around him uh, we probably clash a little bit now as to you know, what I do and, and how I run my training business as opposed to what it was like for him back in the day. I mean, back then, everything was so secretive. If a horse was going well, you wouldn't tell anyone. They they heavily revol- revolved around the punt. Prize money wasn't as good. Um, you know, the last thing you wanted to do is let people see jump outs and let someone else know how good a horse was going or even let someone know what a horse's real name was that was in the stable. It was such a secretive world. It was like this little hobbit town that you know popped up in in, in 2am and they were gone by the time everyone woke and it was this mysterious uh, my mate tipped me this and my mate tipped me that and that's how you would you know there'd be a, a three-year-old mate and 15 of the horses never been seen before you know so unless you had that inside word or that knowledge or that tip from the stable um that's all that revolves around but you know fast forward 20 years the landscape has changed so much we are you know, we, our, our stable solely revolves on, on prize money. So, you know, the better quality of a horse we can get in, the more people we can get involved. And, and, and we've seen that the information is the key. Um, and, and we know that, that punters fund the industry along with owners and they're just as important as well. So, you know, the more that we can put out there uh, and the more people are happy to invest, the more we get back. So things have changed a lot. Um but, you know, uh, he gets on Twitter or Facebook every now and then. Someone shows him and he'll ring me and give me his way. Why are you, why are you putting that on there? Don't let anyone know about that. Oh, the owners will blow up. Uh, and they think, you know, he can't get his head around it. But yep. but things have changed so much. Yep. Yeah, you can't get away with it these days, especially as a as a trainer. Well, it's hard as No, it. and I think, you know, if you're willing to accept that, and that's why, you know, the uh, a lot of those older school trainers have, have struggled to, to realise that that where the money actually comes from um, and, and how important, you know, punters are um, and the information out there. Like, you just only have to look at, you know, we've got all these million-dollar races and, and um, bonuses and, and series and things like that. Well, it's all going to come from somewhere. Everyone, everyone loves to have something on their horse and everyone likes to, you know, for their horse to step out at 20 to 1 its first start and win by three. But it's, it's very, very difficult to do. Um, you know, but when you can um, run fourth your first three starts and, you know, cover your month's training bill and then the horse works out what it's all about and gets to its ideal distance and you're still earning money uh, the whole way through, it, it, it's a terrific, terrific thing, you know, and, and we're very, very blessed because it doesn't happen in a lot of countries. So with your dad being a jockey, did he ever get you to ride or have you ridden or do you ever get on a horse these days or is it, is it too much KFC? So I told definitely the latter, uh, but I told dad one day that I wanted to ride when I was a lot younger. So uh, I went in the sand roll and, you know, round and round I went and we were about an hour in 
and uh, I, he said, whoa, whoa, stop. So I pulled the horse up and he said, now hop off. And I hopped off and he looked at me and he said, now never, ever, ever get back on another horse. <laughs> and that was probably the best advice I ever got from him. Um, so now I've just created a business where uh, I can't ride and I just tell everyone else how bad a job they're doing and that's terrific. Perfect. That's a pretty yeah. good assessment from the old man though. No, well, I went home and told mum and I thought, well, she'll be my angle in. And uh, she came back and said, listen, I think this is – mum wasn't even on my side. And I must have been, yeah, pretty average. But there's a, thank God, because there's a lot of people out there that can't ride that probably didn't get that brutal uh, assessment uh, younger. And, you know, their bodies have paid the price along the years. So I stay well off them. Uh, and uh, I just try and find good people that can and um, – and make out like I did. <laughs> I can think of better professions than sitting on a horse with a mind of its own, going six days an hour. So these are, you know, you, you the public see the jockeys on race day, uh, and don't get me wrong, they do a fantastic job. But the education that track work riders put in to get these horses there is nothing short of phenomenal. Like they are probably, you know, I hate to put people, you know higher on pecking orders and that but as far as grit determination and you know the satisfaction they get from taking that young horse all the way through and then going and see go the races do everything right and win a race they are absolute backbone of this industry and they're very they're they're a very very hard um profession to keep and and get those generations coming through because it's, it's a lot of work and it's a lot of risk people see the falls that the jockeys have on saturdays but the ones which they have at trap work with the uneducated ones must be, are probably a lot worse than the ones on Saturdays. Most, most definitely. I mean, you know, the, there's a, there's an ambulance sitting at most major training centres just waiting for someone to take to hospital. Yep. That's the, the realisation of it. So, you know, to, to have a job uh, every day where you go out and, and there's an ambulance sitting there watching you, yep. uh, just waiting in anticipation without the prospect of being a jockey and getting a good horse and, you know, getting your percentage of a million-dollar race. It's a very, very big effort from, from all track work riders. Yeah, definitely unheralded. Um, so you, you moved to Albury. What year was that? Uh, so we've been here right on two years. Yeah. So tell us about Albury, the, the town itself, and what's it like for a trainer there? Uh Honestly, I, I knew moving here was the right thing for, for the business. Um, you know, starting in Mornington was very hard um, against established trainers and, you know, the, the closure of, of Caulfield imminent, those big those big guys pushing out to, you know, your Pakenham's and Cranbourne's and Ballarat's. It, it, it made Mornington all but a city training track. So I knew it was moving here was good going to be a good move for the business. I... I'm sort of lived in Melbourne 90% of my life. I am very much a city kid and I thought, oh, I moved to Mornington, didn't know how I ended up in the bush. So um, coming here, I was like, oh, geez, I, I don't know about that. Uh, we'll give it a go. I knew it would be right for, for the horses. But I was actually saying to someone the other day, if I stopped training, uh, I, I'd still live here. It's just uh, I love it. You know, you're a big town with a, a very small town sort of mentality. Um, 
it's a, it's a great place to train from a location point of view. You know, I can go to Canberra and Caulfield both on the same day and everywhere in between. So you spoil for choice of where you can run your horses, providing the borders are open. Um, and uh, and I love it. Yeah, it's very laid back. I don't start till later in the in the in the morning, as opposed to you know your three thirty four o'clock starts in, in town. Um, Why is that? Uh, because we don't have lights, so we just operate around the sun. Um, you know, it, it, it's safe. Um, I can attract a good quality staff that can have a better lifestyle. He's coming um, at three a.m. Yeah. Well. I, Honestly, I, I didn't realize how miserable I was in Mornington until I until I moved up here because, you know, you, you just have this stigma of oh, grumpy, tired racehorse trainer falling asleep at the dinner table at half past seven and oh, I can't do this. No, I've got to get up early and it's just crap, you know. Like it, it's just a sh- really shitty quality of life and, you know, might, might suit some. Uh, I hated it and I've really found that happy medium here where, you know, I, I can have a good lifestyle and train horses. That might mean that I'm never going to train a slipper winner or a derby winner and I'm not going to go and buy a million-dollar yearlings and train them for more breed. But I think you've got to find that happy medium where you can have a life without sacrificing everything. Um, and, and that's here. Like, if this is all training ever is for me, uh, I'm more than happy. Yeah. There's a lot of debate about the early starts and how it makes it hard to attract people to the industry like what's the benefit of starting early i think horses are routine animals so they they sort of um ideally like to be worked sort of at the same time every day but in saying that i get a lot of tried horses and older horses that have been through that system so i try and do the opposite you know i work probably eight to ten horses every afternoon uh in the pool and treadmill just to mix it a bit so they're not just going out at the same time every day and it's monotonous for them uh weather um you know when it gets hot uh, it is better to work them when it's cooler um and, and that i i tend to do that as, as the days get hotter but um you know I, I won't work a horse here until the sun comes up you know i think it's, it's the, the, from a safety point of view we should be working horses in daylight and i think that you know people sit back and you know complain that they can't get any staff but then they don't want to uh look at changing uh the way we do things um so it's a it's a double-edged sword i think staffing is probably one of um racing's biggest issues at the the moment and especially with uh, what's going on in the world you know we, we can't get these uh international staff to come over and and uh and and fill the void so we're we're in a bit of a predicament. Um, you know, you, 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 I don't know a trainer that has more than sort of 20 or 30 horses in work that isn't looking for a track work rider. You know, it's, it's a big problem. Um, and it's something that, you know, probably needs a little bit more support from the, from the governing bodies. I mean, it's, it's, it's frustrating to see, you know, how much money is spent on, um, apprentices. You know, we, we, if you want to become an apprentice jockey, well, you know, the, the, the governing bodies will take you under their wing and they'll educate you and bring you through uh, to inevitably be self-employed. Well, there's no system and no structure in place that's good enough for, you know, aspiring track work riders or stable hands or even trainers for that point. So I think that that's something that, you know, really needs to be heavily focused on, especially now that we've lost that 
chance to uh, get those international um, uh, employees. And given the ups and downs of 2020, um, and you live on the on the border in New South Wales, that's right, isn't it? New South Wales, or yeah, Wales, isn't it? yep, yep. yeah. Uh, Wodonga's Victoria. Um, so you've sort of built your business around being able to cross those borders to race horses. How tough's this year been for you? It's actually, yeah, it's it's been, it's felt like a couple of years in one. I mean, we shut for a few weeks completely um, at the start of this year with with the bushfires. Like the smoke up here was just out of control we, we shut down for two weeks and then obviously we brought um by the time we brought them back in it was probably a month without a runner um and you get over that and then COVID hit and you know we, we were pretty massively impacted by that i mean we had to relocate our staff over from wodonga they lived in temporary accommodation for two months um you know we had that 20 25 horses stuck on the Victorian side of the border that, you know, we couldn't bring back and put into work, um, let alone the, the racing side of things. Um, you know, we had a couple of really good horses get transferred. Um, yeah, it, it's been a bastard, absolute bastard. And that's why, you know, just the slight hint of these border closures again, although they're not completely restricting us, um, it just makes you cringe to think, oh, no, we're not going to go through this again, are we? Because... Yeah. You know, from a mental and financial point of view, it's just I, I just couldn't fathom going through it, going through it all over again. Yeah, what's it like at the moment with um, the New South Wales outbreaks? Uh, pretty good. We we had a couple of runners that were going to go down to Melbourne today. Um, yesterday was about three hours to get across the the border. It's a bit hit and miss. Um, so I pulled the pin. I just couldn't risk sitting in traffic for, for two hours or three hours or even an hour, we, we decided not to go. I mean, it's hit and miss, but, you know, they've, they've run their race if they're going to sit in traffic for two hours and then have a, another three-hour trip uh, after that. Yeah. So how many horses have you got? Uh, we're working about 45-ish at the moment, um, which is, uh, you know, it's a, a pretty solid number. Um, you know, we, we have a high turnover of horse. You know, we... we, we um, do have a lot of horses that come that are, you know, sort of well-bred fillies that might not be measuring up in Melbourne and Sydney and just want to win a couple of races and then um, go to the, you know, go to the breeding barn or, you know, horses that are just knocking on the door that have got another win or two in them in Melbourne or Sydney, but they're just sort of getting beat a couple of lengths. Um, the opportunity here is great because, you know, you don't have that constant flow of, of Melbourne and Sydney trainers coming and, and we can, you know, because our overheads are a lot less in the country, we can um, make those horses viable to race where, you know, in that city environment, um, you know, the cost of training them is probably, you know, a touch too high to, to warrant keeping them. Yeah. Do you find it hard to get owners because of where you are? Or, like, everyone wants to get a city horse, don't they? But what's it like for attracting owners? I think, you know, I, I, I if I buy a tried horse, you know, you know, that we think can come here and it's up fit and racing. It's gone within a day. Um, we, we, we have a, a, a really good clientele, but we buy the right horses. Um, you know, we buy horses that we, um, that we think can come here and, and win. And, you know, if I, if I went and brought a, you know, a, 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 a good looking deep field colt for 220 grand and nominated for the golden slipper, well, I wouldn't like to be English or magic millions for the next couple of months. I can, I can assure you, but, um, you know, I, I, people are, are real these days. I think 
so many more people would rather say, oh, hang on, well, I can pay four grand for 10% of this horse that's just ran second, second at Cranbourne or, you know, Gosford. It can go down there and, you know, it's a realistic chance of winning two or three races and maybe going to a tab highway or a country championship. Yep. And and they're happy with that, you know. Like 90% of horses that we buy, they're never going to win a group race. That's real and that's we, – we, we buy them knowing that. But we know that we can buy this horse for 15. It's rock hard fit. Um, you know, I think a good example, we bought a horse for, for about 25 grand the other two weeks ago out of Sydney. Um, it's, it's a dollar ninety at, at, at Wagga to have its first start for us in a thousand meter made it. So, you know, that opportunity to get a quick return, a couple of wins um, and, and move on to the next one is great. You know, the, the bloodstock industry has changed so much, especially with these online sales. There's, you know, three to 500 horses getting traded every fortnight online. Like, it's insane. Um, so instead of hanging on to horses and keeping them for 20 or 30 starts, you know, you, you buy a horse for a specific job to come here, okay, we can run it this, this, and this, and then sell it and get another one. It, it's changed the whole landscape of, of racehorse ownership. Yeah. I think that honesty is pretty pretty handy for owners as well. They don't need to get told their horse is going to win a group one when it clearly isn't. So No, and I think a lot of times, you know, I, I probably might send an email. We might buy a horse hypothetically for 20 and it comes here, has 10 starts, wins two races and a couple of placings. And, um, you know, I'll say to the owners, listen, it's probably, um, it's probably reached its limit, you know, blah, 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 you know, might be a good time to move it on. And I get a response back and they're like, no way, are you kidding? Like, it's been, this horse keeps running second and third and fourth and that, but we haven't paid, we haven't had to dip in and, and, and pay a training bill in, in, in four months. Like, keep him going. You know, they're, they're happy because a lot of people race a horse for an escape. You know, they, they race a horse to, um, to have, you know, they might have 20 work emails come through and their 21st is an update from their, um, from their trainer or a jump out or a um, report. And that's the one they click first because they need something to, to break up the day. I need something to look forward to. And you know what? If that's a class three corridor over 1,200, well, so be it. But at least, um, you know, their horse can consistently run. It's not getting balloted all the time. Um, so many people are just happy to race it. Uh, a fit sound horse that can run week in, week out. Um, uh, it fills their void of, you know, buying a yearling, having it sit in the paddock for six months. And Everyone would love to become millionaires out of being a racehorse owner, but I think we underestimate just the interest factor and not getting rich out of it. Oh, it, it, exactly right. I mean, anyone who isn't going to sit down, make a, you know, a, a solid plan and, um, you know, tip in a couple of mil and, and, and try and buy a stallion and, you know, have a, have a massive crack at it. Um, it. Aside from that, we're all going into it as an interest. And, and uh, you know, I, for instance, I got a group of mates together uh, and we, we brought a horse last week. You know, I've taken a share in it. Um, uh, um, it's come over from Adelaide. And these boys are so excited. I'm just excited as them, you know, and we're going to take it over the Sapphire Coast and win a class 2,000 metre race, hopefully. And, you know, these guys are like, oh, what, what date? Oh, I'll, I'll look at accommodation, will this and that. 
they probably have the capacity to go and buy uh, 10% in a really nice horse and have it trained in town. But they're not looking for uh, that. They're looking for a, for a, a, a good ride, a good ride, and something different and um, something a little bit more real than than you know being told that oh, second nomination for the slipper and the blue diamond and you know this and that because ultimately those horses, um, those horses that that happens to um, every horse is purchased for you know over 50 grand it's straight away it's nominated for the slipper it's nominated for the diamond it's this it's that and it's just people get jack of it yeah people don't like getting bullshitted to and then getting let down so i think that's that's one of the hard things for the industry i think yeah i think there's so much pressure to you know buy these horses i mean that's why i looked around when i was training in in mornington i'm like you go through a midweek race and, and you're like, oh, they paid 300 for that. They paid 200 for that. They paid 150 for that. And it's like, wow, like I, I need to be going to the sales and buying 10 of these every year just to be able to compete. And um, you just live in this life of debt and, and um, trying to sell horses. And then you sell one, you move on to the next one. And it's very, very difficult. And yes, if you, if you get it right, um, you know, you're a genius, but uh, I just hated, uh, you know, I, I, I bought a couple of expensive horses and um, and uh, they were only moderately successful and I just hated that fact of, of letting people down and, and I thought there's got to be a, a better way that people enjoy racing and I think, you know, up here has been a real key for that. Yeah, yeah very appealing to our new owners and even existing owners, so yeah, everybody do it. Winning Edge Investments is an independent provider of tips, ratings, and betting education on horse racing and sports, recruiting only the best full-time professional punters and expert analysts. Does your tipping service offer transparent posting of results every day using an achievable odds recording method? Do they offer a 120-page betting education pack with every membership? And do they provide a profit guarantee, loyalty bonus credits, refer-a-friend bonuses, and special insider discounts to valued members? If not, head over to winningedgeinvestments.com for a different, better experience. Treat your betting like a business and invest intelligently with Winning Edge Investments. You've got a pretty unique perspective on the industry because you race horses in Victoria, New South Wales, but you also race them in the city and the country. Um, do you find many differences between the two states or between country and city? Well, I think, honestly, country New South Wales is, is one of the best places you can train and race horses. You know, I think they've realised how important country racing is. Uh, you know, we have a number of races that are restricted to country New South Wales trained horses only and it just prevents those big stables from Sydney coming down, raiding the prize money and going home. Um, while they're entitled to do that, um, it's good to to have these races where you can tell your owners, well, we can only run in that. You know, that, that $40,000 maiden is only for us. So, and then you throw in, you know, country championships, Kosciuskos uh, and, and the likes, tab highways, um, you know, you've got to sell to owners that, that no other um, no other trainer in, in Australia has. So uh, I, I find uh, that... Um, uh, most appealing, I think. I think Sydney metropolitan racing is really dominated by the by the bigger trainers. I mean, you only have to sort of look at that 
in in the results. You know, it's very sort of uncommon to see someone outside of the top fifteen trainer winner in town in Sydney, where you probably see the you know the midweeks and the Friday nights um, in Melbourne. It's probably shared around a little bit more. Um, uh, so I think you know the the smaller guys probably got a better chance of winning a metropolitan race in Victoria as opposed to New South Wales, just through my preference in my experiences. Um, but uh, yeah, I think as far as prize money goes, just we've got it so good here in Australia. It's just phenomenal. What's your favourite country track you get to? Uh, well, I'd probably be in trouble if I didn't say Aubrey. <laughs> home track. Uh, well, it's you know, it's it's a walk home. You don't have to worry about someone. You know, it's a it's a pretty tough exercise to have a few beers and leave your car at Wagga or Corra. I assure you. Uh, <laughs> What's, through experience, yeah. <laughs> um, it's expensive. Aubrey's well, a, a lovely, big, spacious track. Um, I you know, love love having runners here, but some of my my favourite tracks are probably the places that run a couple of times a year. I um, took some horses to Anamitibi, which is a place deep, deep into the snowy mountains. Um, exactly. Well, I won the cup there, so that's probably why. Oh, there you go. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but they race there once a year. They actually filmed, I'm pretty sure Mexico uh, in the movie Far Lap is, was filmed at Anamitibi. Yeah, right. Um, and it's just awesome, mate. The, like these little places that race once a year, the whole town shuts down. Yep. Um, it's just phenomenal. You know, it's just the racing is, is – we won the Cootamundra Cup, I think, last year. Um, and they're like, you've, you've, got, you've got to bring the, 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 the cut back to the pub. And I'm like, oh, we've got the horse on that. No, it's okay. You know? So like we literally pulled up at the pub and like everyone's coming out to take a photo with the carp and I've like got the horse off the float, just walking around and everyone's coming up and getting photos with it. Did you walk the, like, walk the horse through the pub or? No, 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 <laughs> no, no, bit, bit wild for that. But these are sort of like, you know, a couple of the owners were with me and they're just days that they will never, ever forget, you know. And, you know, you win a race at, on a Friday night or a Wednesday, and yes, it's great, but it doesn't give you that buzz like winning a, a country cup, you know, certainly not for me anyway. Like I'd rather win a country cup over, you know, a, a metro race every day of the week. Yeah. So what's your biggest win as a trainer? Uh, I think uh, probably Almighty Girl, um, you know, she won the group group three um, Typhoon Tracy Stakes at Mooney Valley. It was very quick into my training career. Um, I think in the first three months, I'd trained two winners at Caulfield and then won a Group Three. I thought, oh God, easy. How e- how easy is this? Uh, and then it's been all downhill from there, pretty much. So <laughs> the Anamitibi Cups, the uh, highlight. The Anamitibi Cups is a big drop down to Anamitibi Cup. But now winning the country championships here at Albury uh, this year. Um, we won the Uchuka Cup this year, uh, which was which was terrific. Um, obviously, you know, you don't normally put seconds on your CV, but, you know, uh, um, Kosciuszko with Redouble running second this year was a, a massive plus for us. Um, yeah, we, we've had some some uh, some good highlights over the last 12 months. What's the go with uh, Redouble? Is he back with Bjorn Baker now? Yeah, he's gone back to Bjorn. Um, he went back there after his Hunter run, which is, you know... Um, caused uh, some controversy yeah, which is raw, isn't it yeah which is fair enough i mean a lot of people everyone's entitled to their opinion um you know i, I rang uh, to purchase the horse because uh, i thought he'd be ideal for the kosciuszko uh much like many people did with their kosciuszko runners so 
um, purchase them, you know, prior to aim at that race. I mean, if you're going to put $1.3 million on the table, people are going to do um, what they can to try and win it. And as long as that's within the rules, well, yep. I, I don't I don't see what the issue is. I mean, people say about the spirit of racing. I mean, I, I see these, these big, big Sydney and Melbourne trainers, you know, come to non-tabs four hours from, from um, where they train and, and they come to country cups worth 25 grand and they bring something that's just been beaten at Randwick its last start. Yeah. You know, is that in the spirit of racing? Probably not, but that's the world we live in, you know, and, and um, I, I will troll through every opportunity I can to, to better owners and, and uh, to better our stable. And, and, you know, we broke no rules in doing it. Um, the horse was here for a considerable amount of time. The staff and the team did a terrific job to get him run probably to one of his career best runs. Um, uh, we were uh, we were over the moon with it. Big thrill to run second to It's Me in that race. Um, it's a really good horse to, to beat him too, didn't it? Yeah, yeah, bloody earth. I know if I trained It's Me, it'd still be held up um, three back the fence. <laughs> <laughs> so... Um, uh, he went super. Redouble ran the 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 race of his life, and and you know if she if she had got beat, she would have been a travesty beat. She was a far better horse on the day, uh, and you know pretty probably unlucky to run into a, a, a probably superstar in the making. So you know we, we were wrapped to run second, and I was wrapped with the job that the the staff did, and and um, you know we're, we're thinking about what we can um, what we can aim at aim for next year. And you won the premiership for the Albury Best Trainer this year, is that right? Yeah, yeah. We've yep. been fortunate enough to for, for two years in a row to to be the leading leading trainer here at here at Albury, and um, you know, which is uh, it's a, a good little feat for us to be only here two years, and and to uh, uh, have, have got that. Um, unfortunately, there was no you know ten thousand dollar cash prize or Pizza Hut voucher that went with it. But um, you no, probably, it's great. You probably just get stopped in the street for autographs, don't you? Uh, well, you know, it is. It's you don't realise how small a town this is until you, till it's two a.m. and you're trying to get a cab home. Uh, <laughs> well, you should have plenty of people uh, offering a lift for you. Yeah, we've got no Uber here. Uh, we've got oh, no, really? No, yeah, no, no. Oh, I think it's just kicking. You definitely no Uber eats anywhere. So, yep. what's the point? You know, yeah, that's a bit rough. So, what, what's the best horse you've you've had? What's the best horse you have now? Uh, both the same, I think. Um, Probably a horse called Packers Bond. He's only had three starts. Um, son of Dundeal. Um, he's only he's won a maiden and a class one maiden. Um, but yeah, he's probably the best horse I've ever had. Yep. And you've got um, Perfect Illusions. He's still heading down to Tassie for the cups, or? Oh well, I managed to derail his campaign. He um, he took him to Sydney and he got beat. A nose by a nice horse of Wallers, who then went to Flemington and won. And I'm like, oh, we'll we'll just take the easy route. We'll go down to uh, Sandown for a 64, get his rating up, get some prize money on the bank, and managed to um, be pretty disastrous. He got galloped on and got held up for a run, and it was all pretty uh, pretty ugly. He did a good job to run for, run fourth, but he's actually come through it all right. He worked yesterday morning was terrific. So I'm going to take him to Caulfield on. Next, uh, on the second, there's a benchmark 70, 2400. And if he runs well there, then he'll go down to Tassie. But he's a, he's taken a while to put it together, but he's a really decent stayer. You know, he, he'll, he'll end up winning um, races in town. I don't know at what level, but, um, you know, he, he's just sort of started to work it all out. And you purchased him from overseas? 
Yes. Um, you know, astute, you know, nice and astute. I went over there nice and early and spent um, 10 days in Newmarket, you know, researching and uh, getting a vibe for the place. <laughs> so, um, You've got uh, yeah, oh, well, you know, I'm not just going to buy some random thing. So, uh, no, it was a great experience going over there. Paul Moroni, who's a, you know, phenomenal bloodstock agent. He, um, he, him and I picked the... The horse out, and uh, he, you know, he—I think he was only about a hundred grand landed in Australia. So as far as imports goes, he wasn't overly expensive. And you know, as I said before, with prize money, there's a twenty-four hundred meter benchmark seventy, one hundred and thirty-five thousand dollars. It's it's phenomenal money. You know, he he won his last start before he came over here. I think it was a five thousand pound race. You know, it's terrible, um, terrible money, and. Um, as I said, he's 70 grand to the winner in a 135 grand race. It goes a long way back to his purchase price. Yeah, definitely. Um, are you much of a punting stable? Um, not really. Um, you know, I, I do have some owners here that like to, to, to have a bit of a go, but um, I wouldn't really sort of classify us as a punting stable. I, I, I can't work out really. There's a huge amount of money for my horses sometimes, and it, it certainly doesn't. Um, represent the stable's confidence. Uh, I can't work it out. I think a lot of time up here, if I'm having a first uh, a first starter and it's got Victorian form, it's backed off the map. And I think people will see that it's different form and they will think that it's better form when in fact it's not. Yeah. Um, you know, just because something comes from Victoria and it's been getting beat three, four lengths, it doesn't necessarily mean it'll just come here and win. They're still decent horses. So, yes, it is easier than Victoria, but you've got to make sure that Victorian form does stack up. And um, I see a lot of money for some of my runners a lot of time, and, and you know, it doesn't represent the confidence that, that I have in them. Um, and that's one thing I've always sort of tried to get my head around up here is, is – you know, where the money sort of comes from. But anyway, it's not my problem. <laughs> when the stable does have a bet, is there any uh, examples of sick beats or big plunges you can remember? Um, uh, I think our, our biggest our biggest go, thankfully, came off, which was that almighty girl in a Mornington Maiden. Um, yeah, she I, – I don't even know. I wouldn't be training if she didn't win that day. Um I begged, borrow, stole. Um, yeah, yeah, she she uh, she won her first start. Um, Did she pretty easy? Was it stress free? Yeah, no. I said to uh, Ryan Maloney, right? I said, just sit three deep on this and let it go around the corner. <laughs> it's like what? I'm like, don't worry, just just let it go. Um, just keep probably. Uh, yeah, we we bought a horse called Logan River um, off McAvoy's and. Uh, put a group of mates in him, and and it was actually Magic Moon's Day two years ago. I, I, I just moved, just sort of moved up here, and he was the first tried horse we bought. And put all these guys from Aubrey in, and he was going to a 900 meter maiden at Queanbeyan, and um, uh, I was at the Magic Millions, and every second person stopped me and goes, "Oh, I've just been tipped your horse today. I've just been tipped your horse today." I think it started at dollar eighty, and I watched it at the auditorium in Magic Millions. I had about fifty people standing behind me, and I've I reckon I lost about three kilos while they were behind the gates. And uh, fortunately, he won by five or six lengths. And the roar from the crowd of the auditorium, I think it nearly matched the two-year-old Magic Millions race. I think the half of Queensland was on him. So um, we, we've had a, had a good couple of results, but yeah, we, we've had some uh, equally sick beats um, uh, to match. I think uh, that, you know, Packers Bond first up, um, 
I still don't know how he ran second, uh, but he did. Um, I think the thing that beat him hasn't got warm since. So uh, it's amazing how good horses uh, can can get beat their first start. Um, but sure enough, um, yeah, he did as well. Oh, it sounds like he's got a good future anyway. Yeah, he did. He he just got beat over twelve hundred, and then he went to a uh, mile maiden. He won by six, and then um, he went to a two thousand meter class one and. I think at one stage I counted he was 25 lengths off the leader and um, won pretty easily. So uh, he's a pretty decent horse. He's by done deal, so he's got the right pedigree, and I think he's one that can um, carry the stable for a very long time. Have you got anything long-term planned out for him or just uh, one step at a time? Uh, as, he's only won the two races, but I, I, I think he, he, he's on an Aubrey Cup path. Um, I'll probably bring him down to Caulfield for a 1,400-metre race first up if, uh, around that that first week of January, so um, he he's on a uh, on a on an Aubrey Cup path. Uh, I, I think that's a pretty realistic aim for him. Yeah. Uh, what about jockeys? Have you got a favourite to put on? Have you got a favourite jockey you admire? Uh, I think Nikita Berryman was terrific for me. Uh, she just ne- never let never let me down. She was awesome, and um, uh, I, I I think. You know, longevity with jockeys is, is, you know, some of these guys that have been riding for a really, you know, long time at, at a top level, like you you have to admire them, you know, the, the injuries that they've had. And, um, you know, I look at someone like Bossy and I just think, you know, the, the roller coaster he's been on from, you know, the cups to struggling to get a ride and going to Singapore and then coming back and, and to have that passion and that desire for the sport uh is incredible you know for so long and be so hungry and um bossy actually won the um group three for me and um he uh it was a funny story he ryan maloney she won at mornington ryan maloney was going to ride her at flemington he got food poisoning the night before and bossy got the ride you know the morning of the race and i thought oh you know i don't even know him and He's going to come out and it's one of main at Mornington. I'm running it down straight at Flemington. He's going to think I'm an idiot. And um, he was really good and, and polite. And uh, the horse was going up and down in the one spot at the 200. And it's flying home. I thought it won. It's got a bit of nose to what turned out to be heavily. And um, he got off and he said, this is a really good horse. I said, yeah, I think so. And he said, oh. He rang me the next day. He said, oh, I'll come down. And he came down and rode at work, I think, three times. Um between uh, that race and, and Mooney Valley. And um, he came and galloped it at Mooney Valley and um, he went around and the horse never went off the bridle. It ran horrible time and I thought, oh, no, it's terrible. And he came in and he got off and he said, you, you ever trained a group winner before? I said, no. And he said, oh, you will on Friday night and just walked away. And I'm, you know, this, I'm dying. I'm That's like, right. oh, my God, I didn't sleep for four days. And, you know, he just – he rode it with such confidence, won the group three – and, uh, you know, rang me for a week on end about what I was doing with the horse. And that, and, and that was to help me. You know, that was nothing for him. Um, he wasn't concerned about, you know, a, a group three for Glenn Bosses. He would have ridden 400 of them. But he took so much to, of his time um, to help me through the process and make sure it worked out for me. And I, I think that's terrific. And he still does it to this day. And, and to see him riding up at, at, at the Gold Coast and have that desire to get up to Queensland so he can win the Magic Millions and that, oh, I think it's phenomenal. 
Yeah, definitely. I loved a bit of banter between him and uh, Michael Rod the other week. Just it was just a standard Saturday race, but he was so pumped to beat his mate and so pumped to win a race. Just shows his passion for the game. I'm unfortunately very, very, very um, remotely related to Andrew Malian, and um, I texted him as soon as Bossy and Glenn Boss, uh, Bossy and Michael Rod were uh, were heading up to Queensland. I said, "You're off now, mate." I said, "You want to." You want to start thinking about where you're going to go next. I said, the, the big boys are coming to town. He, he wasn't overly impressed. Well, I guess if Glenn Boss takes you right, it's not it's not too bad. You can get you can, you can get over that. Yeah, I, I mean, oh, I guess he can, he can still ride and work for him and get him ready. He's still got some sort of income. <laughs> yeah, he can still pay the bills. Um, I just want to touch on very popular on social media and you, it's obviously a very new, new school way of thinking to put your name out there. What sort of got you into that? I think just being my age, you know. Um, How old are you? Uh, 32. Yep. Um, yeah, unfortunately. But um, uh, I think, you know, growing up with social media, I think, you know, go back to MySpace and those sort of, <laughs> those sort of things. It's just, MySpace. You, yeah, exactly. ICQ. Yep. Yeah, yeah, MSN Messenger straight after school. Yep. We've just grown up with it and it's just sort of second nature. Um, and I think... There's just, I guess, this thing where you, when you become a trainer that you just have to be this sort of boring, not have an opinion and don't want to upset this person and, and, and that person. And I think that removes you from your potential owners or people that want to know you. I mean, training is such a competitive market. I think, honestly, if you gave the, the same horse to 20 people, you're probably going to get uh, uh, the same result. You know, I, I really believe that there's so many good trainers out there and um I, I think by being me just gives people that opportunity again you would go back to the fact that is i'm not trying to get them to spend three hundred thousand dollars you know i i would like them to spend two or three thousand dollars on a 10 percent share and to do that they want to know they're going to get some fun and enjoyment out of it and i think that probably my personality and and being a little bit smaller they can um have that interaction and, and be a part of our stable, not just that specific horse. And obviously being able to connect to you as a person, they sort of trust you to, to care for their horse and they get to know the, who's looking after their, their animal. Yeah, exactly. And, and you know, we, we're we pretty good communication-wise with reports and, and um, answering the phone and getting back to people and, and letting them know what's going on. And, and um, you know, I think that helps a lot as well for when it goes bad because they know that we're doing our best and, they, they see the care and the time and the effort that goes into it all. And so when a horse cuts its leg or it pulls up sore or needs to go to the paddock or something, they get it, you know, and I guess that's when information is the key. I mean, if your horse is bobbing up every fortnight and winning and you're not hearing anything, well, it's, you'll probably cop it. But when it's, when things go bad and, and you're not getting the communication, you don't know what's going on. That's when you get frustrated and oh, I'll bugger this or I'm getting ripped off and, Blah blah blah, and and um, that, that you know, winning's easy, but with 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 the communication and, and being able to explain to people what's going on, they understand why you know it can't go to the races, or you know, it's easy to, to pick up a horse's foot and squeeze it and show where the foot ad, where the abscess is coming out. Oh, I, I get it, I understand. But if you just put that in a text and say your horse has a foot abscess, it's not racing. You know, it, you go. Oh. It might ask questions. Exactly. Exactly right. All right, mate. Well, awesome to chat with you. And anything for the punters over the next couple of days that we should keep an eye on? Um, 
I've got a fair hand at uh, at uh, Wagga tomorrow. Um, I think that uh, horse having its first start for me uh, called Gallant Run um, will be pretty hard to beat early in the day in a maiden. Um, Sydney Blue has run second his last four starts, so you can just go and pile into him the place. Uh, that's no dramas. <laughs> uh, and probably got a horse going around well. Yeah, she's got a bit of weight, which is a, a filly uh, called Global Sanction, out to 2,000 metres. She'll, she'll run well tomorrow. Perfect. All right, Mitch. Well, thanks for your time, mate, and all the best in the future, and keep up the great work on social media and being Aubrey's best trainer. Oh, well, thanks. That's a good, that's a good rap. <laughs> no worries, mate. Thanks Too for easy. Time, Thank you. Thank Cheers. You. Thanks, mate. At Winning Edge Investments, our team of highly skilled expert analysts and full-time professional punters review the data, crunch the figures, assess the best betting opportunities, and deliver them to your phone via our app and your email inbox in real time so you profit. Go to www.winningedgeinvestments.com, look at our membership options, make your choice, and enter the promo code PODCAST to receive a special 25% discount on your first membership just for listening. That's P-O-D-C-A-S-T in capital letters for a 25% ongoing discount on your first membership. Treat your betting like a business and invest intelligently with Winning Edge Investments.